Hey everybody, Daniel Patrick here. This is episode number 87? 87! This is crazy of the Mandolins of Beer podcast brought to you in part by my favorite website, the Mandolin Cafe. Sorry again that it's coming out on a Thursday. I gotta get back to, uh, I'm not used to all these gigs and such, and and uh, it's just trying to get my stuff pulled together here with all these gigs again and being sort of busy. Anyhow, hope everybody is doing well. Uh, this episode with Joe K. Walsh is a great one. I love Joe. He's such a great guy, great player, uh, and such a generous person with all his stuff. He's obviously he's got that brand new Peghead Nation course, the Octave Mandolin. We talk all about that. But just a reminder, Peghead Nation, they've got some of the best teachers in the biz, man. Sharon Gilchrist, Joe K. Walsh, Mike Compton, John Reichman, Aaron Weinstein, Marla Fibus, Chad Manning. Aaron's got a brand new clip up there, him playing his... Uh, Sweet new Apidius mandolin. That thing's a beauty. But you can go there. They've got everything. Bluegrass, old time, jazz. It's for fiddle, dobro, ukulele, guitar, banjo, bass. All high quality videos, downloadable notation and tab and play along tracks. And there's a ton of songs. We talk about that as well. And if you're not familiar or never used it, just go there and get your first 30 days for free by typing mandolin beer at checkout as the coupon code. And you get your first 30 days on Peghead Nation. So check them out. Northfield Mandolins, let's build more than a mandolin together. Check out their website at northfieldmandolins.com or download their app at mandosummit.app for lots of special performance recordings, demonstrations, and special workshops. We also talk a bit about that beautiful octave mandolin of theirs that they have that Joe plays. Awesome. Uh, Ear Trumpet Labs, they've got some sweet things on their Instagram right now. They barrel-aged some uh, mics for a year. It's, pretty, it's a pretty cool idea, man. Um, and they hand-build all their microphones in Portland, Oregon. Their mics are beautifully designed. They have great feedback rejection for live use. And the most natural tone you'll find for acoustic instruments, check them out at eartrumpetlabs.com today. I love mine. You will love yours. And we have Ellis Mandolins, handmade in Austin, Texas. Beautiful mandolins. Sounds so good. And um, an Apollo Picks. Another tie-in Nick from Apollo Picks has going on, um, he is doing something with Fretboard Journal now. So if you've been thinking about getting a pick from Apollo Picks, now is the time to do it. Nick is a one-man operation, and he's just blowing out. They're so great, and you can't beat it. 40-day money-back guarantee, free shipping, no reason not to try it. So there you go. And let's get into the episode, or the episode with Joe. Joe's brand-new album out with Grant Gordy. And Alex Hargraves and Greg Garrison is just wonderful. I, I can't say enough about it, and I'm not just saying that because he's on the show today. Um, I love this album, and I think you will too, especially if you're a fan of this acoustic music. So let's get into it with Joe. Thank you guys so much. I do want to thank a few people too, by the way. Um, I want to thank some people who have sent in some donations through PayPal. I really appreciate that. If you want to support the podcast, you can um, go to my Patreon and sign up. There's a $4 and an $8 level. And then there is also you can shoot me an email and I can tell you how to do it at PayPal. I guess I got to figure out how to get a link on my website. And I have the website mandolinsbeard.com. And I'll also post links to the ear training website. Once I find out what it was, I'll post a link to that on on the website as well. All right, everybody. Take care of yourselves. Have a great week. Cheers. All right. Now it is my pleasure to welcome back Joe K. Walsh to the podcast. Joe, how's it going, buddy? 
Hey, great. Thanks to thanks so much for having me. It's great to be here. Man, thank you for doing it. Yours is still one of the most listened to uh, episodes up there when I go back and review every now and again. I assume it's all the Eagles fans. Is that it, that's got to be what it is? Is there? Is, <laughs> like, is there oh, we didn't talk about Hotel California. Like, oh, that's what it was. Got to get them back on next time. <laughs> yeah, maybe I need to. I'll leave the initial off this one and see if it makes my uh, <laughs> makes my it'll, numbers. It'll cause you some up. trouble. I can tell you from experience that it's uh, inadvisable. Yeah. <laughs> Oh man! So um, it's been a bit since we've talked on the podcast, but you've got two amazing things that have just come out, and I I'd like to start with the Peghead Nation one first, because that way we can really dive into this new incredible album that you just oh, awesome. that you just put out. But congratulations on the new Peghead course, the Octave Mandolin course. Thanks, man. Thank you. Yeah. What um what was the the reason for putting together that? Well, I've just been playing Octave Mandolin a bunch in the last few years. Um, ended up. Uh, with two at my house and just sort of spending a lot of time with, um, I got a Northfield octave mandolin, which is great. And I have a, a Brock and, and I, I've just been really inspired to play music, uh, on those two instruments. And, and part of it's that they sound different than the mandolin, but you still have your facilities. You still have your sense of where the notes are, but the same melodies sound different. So it really kind of feels like it brings a new, like a fresh approach to my familiar music, um, and I felt like it could be that for other people. And, uh, so I figured I was going to try and make it more, make it, make it more accessible. When, as I was saying on the intro video, the thing about the octave mandolin that I love is that there's no preconceived notion of what it's supposed to be. I mean, there's, uh, examples of what it can be, but there's no, um, rigid definition, I think, uh, which is a really beautiful thing. Every time I go to Carter, they always seem to have one or two of those Northfields hanging there for a minute, or they usually have a tag that says, uh, you know, sold and hold. But <laughs> yeah. man, I mean, I'm, I'm not joking when I say one time, I think I went back three days in a row because <laughs> <And> <laughs> we were just there and I'm like, I just, I, I got to talk myself out of buying it, you know, because it's, yeah. just, it's great. You know, it was just like the justification of at the time, how, how would I use this? And, um, and now I know, I think, but then there was a pandemic. <laughs> well, totally. So, so buying it, but man, those in Northfield, just what a beautiful instrument that thing is. And I'm sure the totally. Brock is as well. And especially like as a, I, I, my experience is that there's a little bit of a trend away from straight bluegrass. And as you, as you deviate from that recipe, recipe a little bit, then it becomes more apparent what the octave mailing can do. Like, especially in duets, uh, or in different settings, or like backing up a fiddle player. Yeah. Um, a lot of that stuff, uh, or or back playing behind. So Grant, my buddy Grant Gordy, and I have a band with the the, the banjo player Danny Barnes, and so with that band, I, I get to like fill a different texture with the octave mandolin. It, it almost feels like like how the role of electric electric guitar would play, just sort of like these sustainy things that hang there for a while underneath his songs. Um, which is different than what you can do with the mandolin. I don't know why uh, why it works so much better in that way, but it does. Boy, I, I would imagine playing with Danny Barnes would be a, that'd be a pretty freeing gig. Like just, oh, <laughs> you know what I mean? Feel free to uh, to experiment. <laughs> that you're, you're, yeah, absolutely. You hit it on the head. It's like um, there's no expectation that what happened last night is what should happen tonight, and that's a that can be a really beautiful thing. Yeah, that's cool, man. 
and then of course yeah. Grant. So, how do you um how do you come up with the tunes that you decide? I love your Peghead courses that you do, um, and you Thanks. always got every month there. You know when you're when the tunes upload that you add, there's just always just just this great wide variety of the advancing mandol mandolinist ones. And I'm always curious, like, wow, that's a how'd you pick this one this month? Well, it's got to hit that sweet spot of something that feels like like fun, but also ideally that that um, brings something new to light for everybody. You know, it could be a technical thing, could be a technique, uh, it could be a, a you know a, a theoretical thing that you could apply on other songs. But I I like to use tunes that that become vehicles for learning a larger topic. Um, so I guess it's kind of hard in a sense because not every tune really brings something new, but I'm always kind of keeping notes about something that hits that sweet spot of all those things. And obviously you also want it to be something that isn't entirely obscure that uh, <laughs> <laughs> you might have a chance to play with somebody. Right. <laughs> That's a great point. I've been, I've been trying, man, I, I used to, when I, was a younger uh, mandolin player. I took lessons with Peter Ostrushka. He was my first teacher. trying to work up one of his tunes for for the peghead thing and it turns out man he was such a tremendous musician i just vastly underestimated how much time it was going to take to like try and catch up with him on this tune yeah he um you know unfortunately recently deceased if anybody wasn't didn't know that or not but i um i had interviewed oh my gosh i can't think he's uh right from kind of your neck of the woods there too i can't believe i'm blanking on his name are you thinking of David Surrett? Yes, David Surrett was, was talking about him. And I kind of, after the podcast was done, I kind of did a, a deep dive on some of his music that night and just kind of laid in bed for like an hour just to listen to his different stuff. And man, what a killer player was he was, Peter. Oh, Holy man. Cow. Totally. And 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 I, I, I always think of him when I think of someone who, uh, before my generation or the generation above me, someone who was just absolutely voracious in their appetite and their ambition. Like he had, you know, a mandolin quartet that played Bach, like just exquisitely. And then he had those swing records with like um, Jethro Burns and uh, Johnny Gimbel. And then he also had these Ukrainian records. And then he also played bluegrass really well. And it was like, he just did everything yeah. at an unbelievable level. Yeah. I love that, man. I just, just the, I wish I would have had a chance to interview him. Still love to, I mean, the people like that who can do all those different styles at an unbelievable level just blows my mind, like how they think, totally. <laughs> you know, totally. so cool. Speaking of an unbelievable level, I love the fact that one of the, um, one of the songs you did for the octave mandolin course is Sierra's version of old danger field, which is <laughs> just like, Oh man. <laughs> well, that's the thing you gotta like, you don't want to, like it's a sweet spot where a student doesn't feel like just giving up. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> so like you got to pick a tune that where it's like, okay, I get this. And then like the Sierra thing is like, well, I don't think any of us is going to sound like Sierra. Um, <laughs> but, 
but she just what she's doing is so interesting it's worth it's worth it even if we never even get it to her level uh it's worth checking it out and learning something and trying to apply some of that stuff Now let's talk about bluegrass and the abstract truth. Holy cow, dude. Congratulations <laughs> on this album. It Thanks is so much. just, it is so good. And it's, um, I think what's great about it and not, I don't think you can do this with a lot of things instrumental sometimes that people don't really live in the mandolin world, but I'm able to recommend it to like, you know, dudes that pl- sit in with our band every now and again or play them little pieces of it while we're doing, you know, like as bumper music when we're setting up. And they're like, who is this? You know, because it's got just That's so much great. variety. Yeah. So I love it, man. How in the I'm heck so- did this come together, This these four musicians? Well, we were all um, teaching at this this cool camp in England called Sore Fingers. And um, it's in a kind of like a Hogwarts type campus. And they have... Um, concerts every night with the faculty and it was really just uh, a one-off because we were all there and and uh the four of us played a set under alex's name under i don't know the great shrimpers or something like that um <laughs> i don't know why it was called that but um but you know like it was just like there's a couple times in my life where, where you play a concert or you play a, a jam and it's just sort of like at the end you're sort of like oh did you that was special right we should did you notice that? Right. And then like, um, and it was, we all kind of were just like on the same page and it was just in, like, it was just really apparent that we were all pushing in the same direction and, and it was sort of like, okay, well let's, let's try and document this. And, and to me, my favorite part about that, that origin story is like, it's not arising from a commercial <laughs> imperative. It's not, it's not like, we need to create something to put on the merch table. It's just like, we just believed in what was possible with the four of us in a room. And, uh, we don't even have any gigs, you know? (laughs) 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 I just, I, it just returns me to the idea of like, we're making music because we believe in the music and we believe there's going to be an audience. Well, it also reminds me a, a bit of some of those cool, like, um, sessions, you know, that like the, you know, like the Bela Fleck drive record, for instance, where, you know, it's just a group of dudes, you know, who are great at what they do and throwing these ideas around or even strength in numbers. You know, it seems like a, uh, a, a more updated version of, of, of that to me, you know, that's cool, just... man. That's, that's a big, that's, a, that's, it's an honor to be included in that sentence in that way. I mean, those were hugely inspiring records. And to me, um, I know it's the same for them, even though I haven't talked about it. You can just tell when they're playing. Um, with, with those records are deeply important to all four of all three, all four of us, because that they figured out how to tell a story with instrumental music. You know, how to how to create this whole four or five or six minute experience that goes to all these different places. So that was really a template we definitely um, were inspired by and 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 tried to build on. Did you guys record this in person? 
We did. So it was prior to the pandemic. Um, uh, we, we About two years ago is when we did this gig in England. And then the following August, uh, we just all gathered in, in uh, Boston for a couple of days. And um, just it kind of happened pretty quickly, which on a, a couple of my favorite records that I've been involved in, that's how it's happened, how it's happened. Just a very short amount of time. But but the vibe was right. Where'd you record at in Boston? There's a cool studio called Dimension, and um, a lot of the best stuff that's happened in Boston over the last, I guess, 10 years has been recorded at that record uh, company, like the Mr. Sun stuff, some of the John Mylander record, um, a lot of stuff. Northeast scene is really inspiring, man. It's just cool. got a, a cool vibe and it's, it, I mean, it's got roots dug into the traditional music, but it's got its own sort of feel, which I really, yeah. really appreciate. I like that. It's, um, I like that. It's oftentimes people trying, trying things and taking risks. And, and I, I know it's not for everybody in the sense of some people would like their bluegrass to be unaltered. Um, and, <laughs> And I like I like bluegrass too, and I and I I mean I'll always go see Danny Paisley any chance I get, or um, you know, it's lots of I love bluegrass, but I I also like that people are just messing with the recipe and seeing what works, and and that definitely happens a lot up there. So how did you come up with the uh, title of the album? It was you know maybe you have this too. There's all these dumb jokes we just have kicking around for years and years and years, um, and and um, there's a there's a um, record by a jazz musician named Oliver Nelson, and the record is called "The Blues and the Abstract Truth." So, <laughs> so it, it, I don't know. It's like, like I think I even made a list years ago of just dumb titles like "Kind of Bluegrass," which I don't. <laughs> oh, that's, that's <laughs> great. <laughs> which, like you know, just like all these bad, you know, all these bad Miles Davis puns, and and but that was one that we kind of. It really kind of felt like it actually uh, fit the uh, spirit. Um, because it does feel like um, the thing we all have in common is that we have a deep love and and deep history with like listening to and working and studying on uh, studying jazz for years and years and years. So it felt like it sort of spoke to that. Yeah, that's great. And the album cover is so cool, too. Um, yeah, man. Danny Barnes did that and uh, Gina Leslie did the design. But like, it's just nice to have somebody where you call like with Danny, we just said, we kind of just gave him a blank check and said, would you create something? And <laughs> that's what he did. It was just beautiful. Oh, that's great. I love it. I, I don't know if anybody else follows him on Instagram, but he, he posts all sorts of just really cool artwork that sells almost immediately. It's actually kind of depressing. Like every time he posts one, I'm like, oh, that's great. And then it's right underneath. It's sold. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. man. So He's good. He's worth a follow. He's like... Speaking of, you know, silly puns that like that, that art is all just like odd, odd non sequitur riffs. I love it. So had you played then aside from that gig, obviously you've, you've known Grant for a while. Um, what about the, yeah. uh, the other two guys though, Greg and Alex? I do. I mean, Alex went to, Alex went to Berkeley, right? 
He did. I wasn't there at the time, but yeah, I've known him for a long time since he was, I don't know, 13 or 14. Uh, I've known Greg less long, but maybe six or seven years. Um, you know, we've all been on the same circuit and, and, you know, it's, it's, it's common for us to cross paths in a normal year a couple of times. Um, I don't think we'd ever had, had cross paths as the four of us, but, but lots of other times previously in smaller other combinations. And we had maybe, maybe eight years ago, Grant and I had done a trio gig with Greg and, and that was the first inkling of this. He, he came off again, we came off the stage and he was like, man, that was like, that was like jazz in the sense, not in the sense of like the language, but in the sense of being receptive to changing what you're doing in response to what everybody else is doing. I think that was, I'm, I'm reading into his words, but that to me was like the sense like, okay, what I'm doing has to reflect what you're doing uh, for the whole show and, and vice versa. <laughs> wow. That's cool. And he played, he was in the punch brothers, the original that's right. Album, yeah. right? And then is he in yeah. was he in Leftover Salmon as well? Leftover Salmon. Yeah. Yeah, lots of lots of great I mean, he's a tremendous, tremendous musician. I just what a great bass player. So he's worked with a lot of great musicians. I love that the first track is is one of his compositions, and I love that uh the uh original title was G G G G G. Yep. <laughs> for putting so i bought it on bandcamp and i appreciate the pdf that came with the download oh good yeah cool yeah yeah i that's i wish everybody did this because it just it, it's like i mean well i'm gonna say this because i'm older than people listening maybe too but like it brings me back to when i would buy a cd or you know even a cassette i guess and and come home and just listen and read about what i was listening to absolutely i want that and like also like you want people to be included on if there's a joke, you want people <laughs> yeah. to be in on it, right? <laughs> yes. And so like having these, whatever, whatever we name the tune, I think I, I want people to understand a little bit of why, or if there's a joke, you know, to, to know the joke. Each of you has at least one composition on here. Right. And then, but the covers, how do you, how do you select the covers? Uh, again, especially with a group of guys that aren't, you know, um, living together or traveling together and you know because there's some pretty interesting artists that you guys selected from yeah um well I, it really could have been anything it was just what we just brainstormed a list of maybe 25 songs that included the originals and um it could have gone a bunch of directions that's just the way it happened to go in this way I, you know like i remember reading some interview with feely where he said that he couldn't conceive of making a record where you didn't already know all the tunes and the sequence before you started recording. Oh, wow. And that kind of, actually, it still blows my mind because I don't feel like that at all. 
<laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. The sequencing, I can't even... That's the least, that's my least favorite part. It's the most stressful part of the whole project <laughs> for me. <laughs> sure, sure, it's sure. just like, oh, do, you, do these two songs go together? Why do they go together? <laughs> yeah. And I guess we didn't think about it like that. We thought about it just like in the sense of having some variety. We certainly like, if, if a tune felt redundant to something that we had already recorded, we just cut it. Um, but yeah, it was more like I, the, the common thread was just that we were going to approach it as the four of us would, you know, mm -hmm. and that, and that, and that brought disparate tunes together. Uh, and personally, it's like, I just love Frizzell. And, and, uh, so we had to get a Frizzell tune in there. That's the second tune. first podcast we talked about that Frizzell documentary which I did, uh, yeah. I didn't remember that until I looked at this PDF and I saw the Frizzell song and I, I ended up watching the documentary I think maybe that night after we talked or shortly thereafter and it was so good but Man. um yeah Frizzell's great <laughs> I, do you know do you ever buy an avocado and just keep waiting until it's ripe and then wait too long and then it's and then you have to throw it away. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I never, man, I've been saving that Frizzell documentary to watch it with someone who's going to appreciate it as much as I will. And I haven't watched it yet. Oh, you got to do it. It's just, <laughs> it's just great. You'll love it. It's really cool. That's uh, cool. I, I, and I, I got to do that. And there's, there's a Schofield doc documentary coming out soon too. Which oh, I is wait. there really? Yeah. Oh, wow. Oh man. He's so great too. Have you heard, um, I didn't listen to this till last year, but you, You'll dig uh, that Flinner record, uh, Man on the Moon, or Walking on the Moon. second one i bought by him and then was like whoa this guy's really out there man and then <laughs> <laughs> well apparently that record is supposed to be his uh, his version of a go-go yeah that's what he said and dude the guy playing guitar nails the schofield stuff oh yeah it's amazing he's amazing yeah yeah that's a fantastic album so let's talk about some of the tunes that you wrote man um first off the the wolf who cried boy Stint living too close to Fenway Park. <laughs> yeah. Well, the same way as like we were talking about with the Octomalin earlier. To me, like when I'm in a funk um, and feel like I'm sounding the same 
sometimes just picking up the mandola is enough to change things up and and the same shapes just emotionally sound different or strike me differently um so that was one of those things where I picked up the mandola and just you know it's the same pattern same same i didn't change anything but just found something something new on it that day um yeah and we yeah we were living like my wife was in law school and i was living within hearing distance of of uh fenway which <laughs> sounds charming but man <laughs> yeah <laughs> sounds charming for a night <laughs> exactly <laughs> <laughs> yeah i love i love how even like on a mandola if you're working on like an like like an original piece or something i find just going to that different scale and playing still in the same key it just but the uh the, totally. the warmth yep. and the uh, just the different tonality can make you think about it a whole different way. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, everything sounds fresh and, and different. And then another uh, another one of your tracks here, the Bold Coast. I do at Berkeley is I um, oftentimes have an ensemble that's uh, a tune writing ensemble where each member of, a, of the ensemble, including me, is supposed to bring in a new tune every week. And it's good to have that pressure. Um, like in that particular tune, I had I had I had um, kind of dropped the ball on writing a new tune, and I it was like I had a lunch hour before the class, and I was like, I better I better get it together. So that one was written very. Very quickly, but you know, sometimes when you do it, you don't have time for the um, the negative uh, voice to creep in. You just, I didn't have time for that. I just had to commit to it, and and sometimes that really goes to a beautiful place. You know, let's since you talk about composing and doing that sort of stuff, it might be a good time to kind of maybe pick your brain a little bit about composing and songwriting and how you Please. help others. What are some tips that you kind of help these people along with? Because there's it's a huge difference. Coming from a bluegrass world, per se, if you're just a mandolin player who's been playing, you know, Monroe stuff or whatever, and you decide, like, oh, I want to stretch out and go to Berkeley, and then, like, well, I need you to write a tune. And it's like, what? <laughs> well, sure. Um, to me, like, a lot of it is becoming, uh, trying to become aware of what choices other people have made in the past that made things succeed. Uh, so trying to, I, I'm kind of an analytical person with music, so I'm approaching it from that sense. Um, you know, uh, one of the things, like for example, is I remember Edgar Meyer saying something like that. His tip was trying try to avoid uh, going to the one chord or try to avoid resolving. I don't re remember exactly what he said, but it's that. So then, in that particular week, we might check out ten or fifteen tunes where the melody never quite gets home until the end. And the idea being, okay, we're we're look at all these tunes. They basically all work. And the thing they have in common is that they weren't in a rush to resolve the idea, to answer the question. You know what I mean? Um, and then ideally, at the end of that week, that's more on your radar, uh, that sort of thing. Another thing is like like tune, like tune writing or composing is about how we construct uh, a structure, I think. Um, 
like there's no rules to how we do it there's no order so but we can look at say oh somebody used this idea and then had another idea and then they went back to the first idea and that to me is how we create structure and so we can look at a bunch of different tunes that um build structure in that way or in different ways to me like i might i've said this before but to, a big the way I believe, approach thinking about music and improvising and, and creating is that it's very similar to a, the the um, recipe for a joke, which is that uh, a joke, you there's a, oftentimes a, a joke where there's one person that comes into the bar and then another person, and now you have context, and then the third person deviates. And, and the third person isn't funny on his own. It's all about context. Right. Mm -hmm. And I don't think there's such a thing as a funny word. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't think there's such a thing as an interesting note. I think uh, we're in charge of creating um, the expectation, the context. And then that's the thing that makes a note interesting. That's the thing that makes uh, a word or a punchline funny. I think I just have to create and then come back in a, in a week and see if it, if it, if it actually held up for me. A lot of times I can't tell the day of, Oh, no kidding. Uh, but, but, and then I just have to sit with it and play with it and maybe sit with a friend or two and, and then just give it a chance. And then, you know, well, that's the other thing about writing is that like, I, as I tell my students, it's like, we're all going to write a bunch of bad tunes and that's just part of it. I think that's part of it. We gotta, we're all going to write, let's say we all write 15 tunes this semester to me, if I get two or one that I that I really love out of it, that's a success. That's huge. <laughs> so, people might yeah. not agree with me when I say this, but I've been saying this for years. Is you know, people are always, you know, talk about you know record labels and uh, producers, and there's some of these guys like I'm a huge Prince fan, but Prince oh, yeah. is a guy who needed a producer because he had uh, not every song was as great as he thought it was. <laughs> you know what I mean? You can listen totally, to totally. you know, yeah. it's the same with like I, some of those box sets that when box sets first started coming out and you're like, eh, I can, uh, I mean, I see why this wasn't on the album, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know? Like, this is what a producer does. They're like, now this is your a game right here. I know you think it's all an a game, but sometimes you need somebody to, to tell you that, you know? Sure. Yeah, definitely. What are some of the tunes or one of the tunes, I guess that you, uh, if you could think of the one that like, doesn't resolve until the end. I think it'd be kind of cool to uh, reference a tune or two um, for people to check. Uh, give me one second. I'll look at my list here. Oh, sweet. Homer the Romer, for example. Oh, yeah. doesn't feel like it resolves um and actually from the record that we from the bluegrass and the abstract truth another one i think that dog tune stepping with stefan mm -hmm. that doesn't really resolve in my book um there's that edgar meyer tune uh well tune is is not really a big enough word for it because i think it's just a beautiful beautiful composition but that 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 uh one called short trip home
that one's cool because even when when you get to the the one chord at the end of the initial idea, mm-hmm. it actually is the beginning of the next phrase. So even it, it shows a way of um, that if you feel like the melody has to go to that note, that root note, um, maintaining that momentum where it doesn't feel like okay, we're at home, we've arrived. That's the thing that 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 kind of uh, capsizes a bunch of tunes. I think is when you resolve an idea in the middle, then you have to try and generate some new momentum some other way. Right. Okay. Right. Speaking of that Homer the Romer, somewhere I have a um, CD or a download where Hartford and Feely and some other, I think Sarah Watkins is one of the players, or like oh, just, yeah. somebody just recorded them at a jam. Uh-huh. And then you hear, you hear like the hip uh, Hartford just kind of playing some of that. And you hear like Feely and his like little kid voice like, oh, what's that called? And he's like, oh, it's a Homer the Homer. <laughs> and then they start it and he shows it to him and they play it. And I'm like, oh, that's crazy. You know, like, <laughs> oh, that's yeah. so wild. Totally. Yeah, that's a great one. Backtrack a little bit. Now, these tunes that you recorded, what about when you get together, you said writing with a few other people from from the original songs? how many of these were like completely composed and how many did you guys kind of work on and how do you approach working with other people on tunes? Yeah. Um, I guess we had maybe like six or seven originals on this and, uh, Grant tends to write, you know, in a way that's, a, um, like he, I think he's in sort of in the spirit of Grisman where like, there's the idea of the whole experience, like an introduction, uh, an arrangement, a solo order, maybe an interlude that he tends to write more like that. So that's more obvious what happens when you get to an ensemble. And then with Greg and Alex and my tunes, I think it was more, um, I, I personally like the idea of, uh, bringing a tune in and saying, Oh, what, what, what would you do? What would, how would this, uh, what, what inspires you? Where, where do you think this should go? Cause the gift of, of being in that studio with those people is you're, you're with people who you have so much faith in and, and, and that you get the opportunity to learn from them in that way. So to me, that was my preference is to say, here's this starting place. And then what should we do with it? And I think that was a nice choice because it, because it went to some places that I wouldn't have been able to think of on my own. Now the elephant of surprise, and I'm going to be talking with Craig Gordon, <laughs> dude, this song has entered. This song has entered my top ten favorite songs right now of like all time. I love it. Man. I cannot get enough of it. Yeah, a lot of it. Certainly the, um, um, yeah, like the head in and the head out. He he, he oftentimes has like, um, you know, the melody and then sometimes a counter line. I can't remember if there's a counter line on that one. Um, but yeah, he, he actually a lot of times has a very specific vision of what's going to happen before before we even start playing. Yeah, that song almost seems like, you know, it's got just so many uh, <laughs> twists and turns 
Like it was something like, oh, wow, what do you, this is amazing. <laughs> like, I just can't even imagine somebody, you know, like bringing that into me and being like, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Grant, he's beautiful, man. He sets the, he sets the bar really high and it's really like, it's beautiful to be in that position where he's like, yeah, you can do this. You should, you should do this. This is going to work. So it's a privilege. And I'm sure uh, that the feeling is pretty mutual um, with, with those guys towards you. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think so. I mean, I, we have, I've, I've been very, we have a beautiful relationship, especially Grant and I, we've been playing together for 10 years now in various, it seems like almost every band that each of us is in includes the other. So <laughs> that's great. Uh, well, then speaking of that too, I know Mr. Sun, um, the album yeah. that's going to be coming out here too this year. Is that true? Or am I yeah. saying that? <laughs> no, 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 no. You're right. Uh, we're hoping for the fall. It seems like that's we're getting our uh, you know ducks in a row, so to speak. Um, and that's that one's been overdue. That one was tracked like three years ago, uh, and I'm really excited about that. That band is starting to, uh, you know, really like understand exactly what it is, <laughs> uh, which is uh, it's beautiful that we're we've been able to do that and learn learn. Uh, you know, a sense of ourself and, and what we can do as an ensemble over the last, whatever, six years. And that's what I love about that band too, is, um, you know, it's, it's, it's you've got Daryl in there too, who is like, you guys are all killer, but you got this guy from like that generation of like dog, you know? Yeah. It's like, Oh, wow. <laughs> I mean, what's it, what's it like to, uh, to work with, you know, somebody along that line too? Is it, is it similar to working with, you know, uh, guys that are of your age or is it you know is there they're a no i think it's both i think it, i think i know what you mean and it's both it's like and, and when we when i first started playing with daryl there was just this great it was daryl it's daryl man yeah. it's like yeah and i just this great sense of awe just being in his presence you know and and now we're like close friends and we talk all the time and and that's and it's different and we're and we work together but also man it's still him he's still my hero and so, you know, there's, there's, I think for both Grant and I, there's a sense of like, we, you know, we, we defer to our elder and our, and, and, and our hero in a sense. So it's somewhere between those two. Oh, that's great. Well, I can't wait to hear that too. I know, um, uh, you had, boy, probably a year and a half ago or sent me, um, one of the tracks that's on there that was, um, the, the black. Oh, yeah. And, whew, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I'm excited to, uh to get my hands on that when that comes out, man, that'll Thank be great. You. Yeah. I can't wait. Actually. I'm, I, it's like one of those, sometimes you just, for whatever reason it, it you have to be more patient than you want to be, but I'm, <laughs> I'm looking forward to, I mean, I'm talking about me oh, yeah, sure. in this situation, but I can't wait to get it out to the world. So what else have you been doing to keep yourself busy? Like during the pandemic and stuff? I mean, obviously this was recorded a little bit ahead of time, but um, yeah. you seem to be, always always busy and working on stuff what what kind of things were you working on and and uh doing during this downtime this time last you know it was i was pretty it was a pretty dark moment this time last year oh you're, and then yeah, i know <laughs> and there was this beautiful moment where i ended up somebody asked me to write a bunch of help write a bunch of music for this children's book and oh, wow um that was super positive and then and then it turned out that the band they were arranging was me and my buddy Kip, who's a great violin player, and then Bela Fleck. So, uh, <laughs> so that like for 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 like you know really one of the darkest times of our lives. That like was a really positive couple of uh, weeks or month uh, 
of just working on music and 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 it would be cool i'd write the tune and then Crip would record it and then we'd send it off to Bela and he was just such a magician. He would um, manage to do take uh, what we'd sent him and make choices that made the whole thing feel complete. He could just make it feel like such a complete experience with just his choices. It was really uh, awe-inspiring. So and I need to interject here because I had to text Joe. I didn't ask him the name of the book or if it was out yet. The book is called Camping and it is not out yet, but uh, just keep an eye on Joe's social media or mine, and I'll let you all know when it is available. All right, let's get back to the interview with Joe. That was, and that was, that was, that was good. And then, and then more recently, um, what, what have I been doing? Oh, Grant and I, and a couple of buddies, Scott Nygaard and Adam Larrabee, and a couple other folks have, have started this Zoom club where we all learn the same standard and transcribe some solos and melodies. And then we all get back together and say, oh, here's what I learned from this version of the tune. And here's, oh, check it out. This person's doing this. And and it's been really inspiring and really inspiring to just learn from and exchange with them. Yeah, that that sounds amazing. My like mouth was open, like, what? <laughs> I gotta say, like, idea, like, man. and like, it would never have happened but for the pandemic, but it, you know, it should, because it's like, it's positive for all of us, and and whatever I hear on this tune might not be the same as what you know Adam hears, but they're they're both complementary, and we can all learn a little bit from it. So it, it's been super positive. I really hope some of the stuff that I mean that people have had, have have kind of worked through in this pandemic, uh, because we're such a go 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 world, and especially like musicians who are never in the same place for very long. It seems like you know you're always doing road dates and when you're home you're like whew, trying to recover from the road date and catch up on whatever you <laughs> whatever you're behind on yeah and there's been some really cool things that have come out of all this and um you know and i hope some of that stuff sticks around i think the zoom thing um as far as like some of the things like uh jake jolliffe was doing that course yeah um and you know the dog's going to be on a master class and flinter's going to be on a master class and <laughs> you know i mean it, Again, like that probably wouldn't even have been thought about totally. a year ago. Totally. And it's still completely doable. You could, you know, you could set up a Zoom in a hotel room, you know, on a on a day off. So I hope some of that stuff still sticks around. Yeah, I think so. I mean, it, it's, it, it's made it apparent that if you want to study with somebody who lives X number of hours away from you, it's now possible. And, it, and we're all able to have um, find a better fit with, you know, the people we want to work with, I think. Yeah. And you said you've been doing some Zoom lessons here and there too. Uh, yeah, some. Yeah, no, it hasn't been a big part of my life, but yeah, yeah, it's been nice. I have a, a few regular students that I really like connecting with and seeing how they're progressing. Yeah, that's cool, man. This yeah. reminds me of another thing, Ethan. Speaking of former mm -hmm. uh, former students, he had a really cool thing. He was telling me about um, uh, that he learned from you, or you guys sat down and did. And when you went to get your list of songs, it reminded me of this when. Um, when he, when he was working on his album, he said he and you worked on some Bela Fleck devices that he uses in songs. Totally. Yeah. Um, well, one of it is like, if you listen to some of his songs, uh, one thing he does is he puts together triads that aren't diatonic. Um, I'm thinking especially of the one that really kind of shone, shone a light on this was the B part of the tune Seesaw from Uncommon Ritual.
and and when I learned it, what is it? It's like um, I think it's uh, shoot. Let's see. Um, let me tell you what the chords are when I look at them. <laughs> <laughs> it's the uh, it's G minor with your with your middle with the the B flat on the top. Then it goes to F with the A on the top, and then D major with the F sharp on the top, and then F minor with the A flat on the top, and then C add nine with a G on the top. So I'm mean, I can keep going. There's more chords in that section, but it's just like how does it work so beautifully melodically when these chords are never those that's not a common uh, collection of chords um you know there's a and, and I, it kind of made got me to start thinking what chords does bela um include together when he departs from diatonic progressions and so then ethan and i started making a spreadsheet looking at all these tunes and saying oh okay well he's using one four five and oh flat three major flat three or one four five and oh minor five going here and trying to get a sense of what the usual suspects were, um, and that was really inspiring. I, I find Bela just deeply inspiring, and that whole um, thing about being innovative with triads. The simple, you know, the first thing we learn: major triad, minor triad. But he always managed to find something new um, with those ingredients, and and and. Just trying to chase after his idea or his approach is really inspiring. That's a really great idea. The breaking down the, you know, charting it out and, you know, looking at all the different ways. That's cool, man. Yeah, that's oh, cool. So cool. <laughs> this is inspiring. Oh, good. Good, good. What, um, what, what mandolin did you use or mandolins did you use on this album? I have that... Uh... Um, this Gilchrist that Andrew Marlin used to own. Yeah, we um. When I just had him on, he says it still hurts to say that you own it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that, that's that's a bummer. Oh, uh, he's. I think he'll be all right. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, tr- I encouraged him for months to not sell it to anybody ever. So. Well, I, I think he's at least happy with it's got a good home. You know what I yeah. mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, next so. best thing. Yeah, so that that was the only one I played, and then I have a Lauren Smart Mandola that was on that one track. Dude, do you have any other sort of go-to recordings for when you're looking for inspiration or if you're feeling stuck or in a rut? Uh, I just love, yeah, I listen to a lot of dogs still. I, I really just, you know, it was the reason I picked up the mandolin listening to his records, and, and I just, I feel like he's the best example of what a mandolin can sound like. And I, I just love the way it sounds. So um, I definitely still listen to him. I like listening to great improvisers uh, and and people who are responsive in the moment. Um, so in the last year, I've been spending a lot of time with Keith Jarrett and Joshua Redman and, of course, Schofield and Frizzell. I, I know I'm naming just jazz musicians. I don't think that it means that you just need that harmonic language. You could even exclude all that and just have it be bluegrass and still approach that mindset. And in a way that's kind of the point of that record that we just made. Um, just like just that whole, just responsiveness. So that's the kind of people that I like to listen to is people who are just so in the moment. And that's just that one experience, that one choice that day. And it's different the next day. And it really does relate in a sense to bluegrass even though, you know, because you can you can still do that in a bluegrass setting. I think it's great. I completely us, think that. Absolutely. Know, break out of you don't have to play the same parts every single time you play the song. That's what makes, you know, you become a better player if you try to not do that every time. 
Totally. Absolutely. And it's so easy when you come up with that cool part to be like, well, I'm just going to play this forever. <laughs> well, and I mean, there's definitely a place for that. And absolutely. That's cool. that's cool. Yeah, for um, sure. The, the part that just keeps me alive and, and keeps me engaged with the music is the unknown. So... Yeah, as a, I mean, it's, this is what I love about playing with the one guy. We do a lot of duo gigs together where he's texting me charts right now of two nice. to play tonight. That he's That's like, the best. That's yeah. the best. And it's literally like I can listen to a song on the way to the gig and be like, hey, man, we should try this tonight. You know? Yeah, you're a lucky man. It, it, uh, not everybody has a band like that, but I, when I've had it like that, I, I know it's a privilege. It's a beautiful thing. What um, I know we talked uh, a bit about the ten minute thing. The ten, you know, practice something for ten minutes a day. Is there anything currently on your mind that you've been working on that you would recommend anybody trying to work on? Um, I'm just, I'm just a deep believer in 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 trying to pay attention to the relationship of the note you're choosing versus the chord and trying to organize it in a sense of you don't have to name it. You don't have to think of solfege. Those are ways that people do it. But mm -hmm. I, with almost all of my students, I'd, I try and get them to say, oh, okay, well, I recognize this is the third of that chord. And if I want the third of the next chord, I got to go here. And then if I want the nine, and to me, that's just the way you can say, oh, okay, I'm in control of what sound I'm going to use in this moment. Um, so that's just an overarching thing. That's always something I'm working on and encouraging other people to work on. Yeah. How is, so this, uh, this might be way too deep of a question, but I'm always intrigued by um, ear training in a sense of knowing what that nine sounds like, you know, sure. like um, in the three, is there a way that somebody who's listened to this, you know, that you might recommend them to start or a starting point for somebody who's always like, you know, that comes up all the time. What do I solo with? And it's not a coverall answer, but if you kind of know like what a three or a five or a nine sounds like, you kind of have an idea of where you're going at least. I think that's oh, right. Jesus. Yeah, I think that's Sorry. right. Hang on one sec. My dog is losing his mind. <laughs> Sorry about that. Beagle. Carry well, on. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is going to sound overly simple, I think, but it is, it is actually how I started with this stuff um, is thinking about naming the note relationship on really simple songs, you know, row, row, row your boat. One, 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 two, three, three, two, three, four, five, one, 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 five, 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 three, three, one. Uh, you know, that sort of thing. You start to, obviously everybody knows the third is part of most chords, right? And everybody knows the fifth is there. But if you can start to associate a sound with it, instead of just saying, I know it's there and I know I need to know about it. Um, and so well, that's the kind of thing you could practice without an instrument. I used to practice this while shopping for groceries and I'd say, Oh, okay, here's this song that's on the, uh, the, whatever loudspeakers. I wonder if I could figure out, um, what the note relationship is. Oh, okay. It's starting on the root note, but it goes to the sixth or it goes to the four, that sort of thing. And there's all these mnemonics, um, like here comes, the, here comes the bride, right? Um, is, uh, five, one, one, one. Um, and, and that could be a good way of like, when I was starting to do this, I didn't, I wasn't very good at it. Um, and I would have those mnemonics, uh, oh, okay, great. Does that sound the same as that? Or like crazy. I, I probably didn't sing it right, but what it is, is a minor six going down. Right. Or, um, do you remember that silly song? Um, Axel F that was like a, oh, yeah. <laughs> do, 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 do. yeah. <laughs> right. So that's a good way to remember a minor third. 
So that kind of thing. Um, you can come up with a, 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 a mnemonic for every um, interval, and that and that's just truly valuable, I think. Yeah. There is a website. I can't think of the name of it, but I'll post a link to it. But there's a website that has all those, like, up and down, too. And totally. So it'll be like the Flintstones, you know, and it'll tell you. like, Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. If you're, like, trying to find this, here's a song to get in your head. And it, I thought it was cool because I had it going the opposite direction, too. You know, and stuff like that. I'm like, oh, yeah. Do you remember? Yeah, NBC oh. is a good one. Do you remember NBC? Oh, yeah. Do, do, do. Yeah. Yeah, there you did. Yeah, so that was, like. The, from a from a major chord, I think what is that five three one? I'm not maybe I'm mistaken, but oh yeah, now it's gonna drive me crazy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's so many cool ones. That's cool, man. I'm glad that's it's it's again. It's great to hear it that it it all starts with something simple. There's no giant like oh Joe just knows all this stuff. I mean Joe, but like you just said, you worked out it with row 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 your boat. You learned. You started. Somewhere. <laughs> you know what I mean. Like, yeah, yeah. I think so many people get overwhelmed, myself included, you know what I mean? Sure, I, sure. You know, and, and then when you just stop and think about, like, how everybody starts somewhere and you just got to find that spot, spot, you know? And Yeah, totally. And, like, the mandolin is so beautiful that, 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 that the next step is actually easier on our instrument than it is on, um, say, the guitar. But, like, you know, try and play row, row, row your boat in every key or, or multiple keys, you know? It may feel absurd, but it's also illustrating that movable ear turning thing that's so beautiful about the mandolin. Like, if you put your first finger on D flat, you know, a bunch of us, many of us, wouldn't be able to name every note, right? But you you'd still say, "Oh, okay, I can still find the relationships relative to that that root starting place," and that's the real, um, you know, crux of the whole idea. Yeah, I've been working through some saxophone exercises for my warm Oh, cool. Yeah, and there's this dude um, on YouTube, Chad LB, I think is his uh, YouTube name, but he's got a thing on like uh, 15 different enclosure and approach notes exercises. Oh, cool, cool, yeah, and awesome. I, I love it, and it's just like, you know, I just start on C and then run through like the, uh, you know, the circle fifths or whatever, just so I play it in every position and just, you know, try to listen to it and get my fingers used to the muscle memory of all different spots you can play it and it's just totally just do it super slow <laughs> you know and then you know wait till it kind of rolls into my playing a little bit yeah i think man i think like as students uh uh of the instrument it's so easy and i've done this many many times it's so easy to underestimate how deeply something has to be in our muscle memory for it to be usable when we're creative uh so it's like I always encourage my students to go way past the point of, oh, yeah, I, I can play this. I get this. It just has to be so deeply in there. Yeah. How about beers? You've been drinking any uh, any cool beers? I know we uh, the last time you talked about the one that was made with seawater, I think, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, that one was good. And they, they, they recreated that one in the middle of the pandemic because they were running out of the other ingredients. Um, wow. Yeah. So what have I had? Uh I've been making more cocktails lately, honestly, but, uh, but do man, <laughs> <laughs> but you do, you definitely should find your way up here. Cause it's, it's an, it's a, a truly embarrassment of riches up here. Cause there's just so many breweries and they're all uh, setting the bar really high. Well, man, congratulations on a fantastic album. Um, thank, thank you. I know it, it's out of, well, this, this will be out tomorrow. It comes oh, okay. out everywhere. 
Friday, right? Spotify, iTunes, and um, but it's currently available. If you're listening now and you're like, oh, I can't wait till Friday, it's on Bandcamp. And I highly recommend you get it from Bandcamp, um, you know, just because it works works better for the artist. That's such a great website. Totally. But get it wherever. Yeah, Yeah, just check it out. I'm just excited to have that music out in the world. So are you guys going to try to do, is there any plans at all of trying to do like a couple shows with that lineup? That would be fun. Uh, You know, to be honest, I find that improvising musicians are not the most organized musicians (laughs) in the world. (laughs) Uh, So maybe <laughs> we'll see i hope so super I, organized though i'm guessing you're uh, even though you're improvisational i mean you know what i mean like you're like oh let me get this list or let me uh sure sure thing. i think that's so cool man i wish i could be i always have plans to be more organized in everything and yet i sit surrounded by piles of papers <laughs> well it's good this isn't a zoom because you'd see piles of papers here too <laughs> Oh, man. Thank you so much for doing this. Joe. Thank you. My yeah, pleasure. Absolutely. Yeah. And I love the podcast. It's, you're really doing a huge service to the community. You're making actually community is what I think is a better way of saying it. Oh, so. Wow. Thanks, man. I really appreciate that. Well, it, I mean, none of this none of this will be possible without people like yourself and all the killer players who, you know, put the time into doing the interviews. And, you know, obviously it was a little bit easier last year, but, you know. People squeezed it in when they were on the road. Like I've got one hour between, <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, camp and you know classes, and that—that's what really made it so possible. I appreciate well, it's a that. special thing. It's a special thing you're doing. I think everybody's recognizing that. Oh, thanks, man. Jeez, I'm all blushy. <laughs> <laughs> all right, thank you so much to Joe. What a great guy, man. Best laugh in the mandolin business. And um, Grant Gordy next week, and we talk about the album. And uh, if you're not familiar with Grant, he spent six years or so playing in a band with the dog. And uh, it's a pretty great experience. So he's played with Joe, the dog, and Dominic Leslie. Thanks so much, everybody. You guys have yourselves a fantastic week. Cheers.